Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 1 of The Age of the Condottieri. A Short History of Medieval Italy from 1409 to 1530. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami, M.D. The Age of the Condottieri. A Short History of Medieval Italy from 1409 to 1530 by Oscar Browning. Chapter 1. Retrospect and Prospect, Part 1. In the first section of this history entitled Guelphs and Ghibellines, the fortunes of the peninsula were traced from the death of the Emperor Frederick II in 1250 down to the Council of Pisa in 1409. In the present section, it is proposed to carry on the narrative down to the fall of Florence in 1530. Having arrived at the middle point of our long journey, it will be convenient to cast an eye both forwards and backwards, and to consider briefly the fortunes of the five principal states of Italy, Milan, Florence, Venice, Rome, and Naples, during these three momentous centuries. We will shortly recapitulate the steps by which they gradually attained the rank of states, and follow their destinies to the point where they are just about to merge into a common Italy. Milan was the first of the Italian towns to undergo the transformation from a commune to a country. In the previous book we witnessed the rise of the power of the Visconti, and have seen how that power was eventually concentrated in the hands of one of its members, John Galeazzo. We have read how he destroyed his uncle by treachery, how he overthrew one after the other the little tyrants of the Italian towns, and how at length he was invested by the emperor with the duchy of Milan. In this new position he extended his power over Genoa, Bologna, and Tuscany, till at last Florence alone resisted his encroachments, and he was stretching out his hand to grasp the crown of Italy. Death surprised him suddenly on September 3, 1402, and broke the thread of his designs. His government had its brighter side. He created a new state to meet the exigencies of the times, he was obliged to make it his chief object to levy taxes to maintain his wars, but justice was well administered and prosperity increased. His centralized and autocratic government was effective for the projects it had in view. He surrounded himself with men of letters. He built the Cathedral of Milan and the Certosa of Pavia. He was the first of modern princes, 
anarchy followed upon his death filippo maria his son who reigned from fourteen forty seven is a most unlovely character he knew no other arts of government but those of treachery and cunning a coward shut up in his castle of milan he engaged in all the quarrels of the age and he always contrived to press the disasters of his enemies to his own advantage he defeated the florentines at zagonara in fourteen twenty four often conquered by the venetians he as often renewed the war in the contest between anjou and aragon for the throne of naples he weakened each party in turn he gained his victory by the help of mercenary generals the greatest of whom was francesco sforza in fourteen forty one he gave his only child bianca in marriage to sforza and on his death sforza was able to succeed him sforza was a man after the heart of the fifteenth century a great captain an acute politician a mixture of the fox and the lion ready to shed blood if necessary otherwise a friend of impartial justice he founded a dynasty he conquered a kingdom which he left powerful and well governed he constructed public works he held one of the most brilliant courts in italy he died march eighth fourteen sixty one celebrated by men of letters as just great and magnanimous he had succeeded in all his designs but the state which he had founded had no internal strength it had been moulded by his hands alone and could be moulded anew by the hands of another galeazzo maria sforza the son of francesco was dissolute and cruel he was accused of having poisoned his mother he buried some of his subjects alive he squandered his treasures in useless festivities he was at last murdered on december twenty sixth fourteen seventy six in the church of santo stefano by three conspirators who had prayed to the saint that the blow might not fail to effect its object his uncle ludovico called il moro or the moor from his swarthy complexion ambitious timid and restless seized the dominions of his nephew galeazzo and played an important part in that enslavement of italy which we shall have to describe at a later period the history of florence is a strange contrast to that of milan throughout all the changes and vicissitudes of its fortunes it kept steadily in view the preservation of liberty and the maintenance of democratic government in twelve ninety three the ordinances of justice struck a heavy blow at feudalism the nobles were excluded from office the city was governed by an oligarchy of merchants the arti maggiori the more important merchant guilds had overcome the grandi the nobles their activity and enterprise extended the borders and founded the greatness of the republic in a period of peace and prosperity the arti minori the smaller guilds were able to assert their power but a too violent and unrestrained democracy paved the way for the predominance of the medici but the medici did not like the visconti gain their power by the arts of tyranny they did not torture their enemies alive or give them to be devoured by dogs they pursued a consistent policy for more than a hundred years and arrived at the summit of power by courtesy and firmness in thirteen seventy eight in the rising of the ciampi salvestro de medici took the side of the lesser guilds 
and when the greater guilds and the albizzi returned to power alverardo de medici remained quietly immersed in money-making his son giovanni was the real founder of the fortunes of the house the medici always took the popular side they rose by securing a constant majority in the elections and as their power increased it seemed as if the republic was only assuming a more popular form the great cosimo succeeded his father giovanni in fourteen twenty nine at the age of forty enriched with commerce he used his wealth to increase his influence but he was careful to preserve the habits of a private citizen driven into exile by the albizzi he returned to venice where he was received as a prince the following year he was recalled to florence by the popular party and then threw off the mask he cast down all the powerful rivals who might stand in his way and raised his own creatures of humble birth to influence in the state for himself he never stepped out of the rank of a private citizen and held no office in state he governed by means of a balia a kind of caucus composed of citizens devoted to his interests who elected the principal magistrates for a period of five years he remained in outward appearance a quiet and peaceable banker devoted to his trade he spent but little money on himself but was profuse toward the republic he built churches libraries and palaces he founded the platonic academy he surrounded himself with men of letters and placed florence at the head of european culture he established intimate relations with foreign powers pope nicholas v and francesco sforza of milan were his devoted friends machiavelli and giudarcini all united in his praise for thirty-one years he maintained his power in this fickle and capricious town and deserved the name which he acquired of the father of his country lorenzo the grandson of cosimo was a man of very different character he was a bad man of business and left his bank to be managed by others he spent such large sums of money on himself that he deserved the appellation of the magnificent he reduced himself to poverty by his extravagance he alienated his fellow-citizens by his lust he recruited his private finances from the public treasury and was shameless in the promotion of his private favourites the means taken to overthrow him served only to consolidate his power the conspiracy of the pazzi came to a head in fourteen seventy eight it was generally believed to have been arranged in the vatican by the pope himself sixtus the fourth on april twenty sixth the two brothers were attacked in the cathedral of florence at the moment of the elevation of the host giuliano was killed lorenzo escaped the populace rose in tumult and put the conspirators to death lorenzo found himself powerful enough to weaken his enemies for ever and seized the opportunity to change the form of government instead of the balia a council of sixty was appointed in fourteen eighty it was co-optative and was indeed a balia with larger powers the republic of florence henceforth existed merely in form lorenzo de medici was a tyrant but a more attractive and winning tyrant cannot be imagined the city was never more rich and more prosperous lorenzo was not only the protector of literary men but a distinguished man of letters himself without an army to support him without any legal or constitutional position 
he not only governed florence and tuscany but held the balance of power in italy his enemy sixtus the fourth was dead and his successor innocent the eighth was his friend the enmity which raged between ludovico il moro and ferdinand of aragon enabled lorenzo to keep both of them in check but his power had no elements of stability it was likely to fall with its author lorenzo had sacrificed the interests of his people to the interests of his family and his family could only maintain their power by establishing a virtual sovereignty venice exhibits a type of government different to those either of florence or milan florence beginning with the rule of an autocracy became gradually more and more democratical and submitted at last to the despotism of an individual venice by degrees consolidated the government of a close and jealous oligarchy venice from its foundation was untouched by any admixture of german elements she knew no emperor and no feudal aristocracy her distant commerce her vice-ducal governments were from the first favourable to the growth of a rich merchant class while the common people were kept well employed at sea it is unnecessary to recapitulate at any length the changes of constitution which have been already described in full it has been shown how the power of the doge was gradually limited on one side and that of the people on the other how the maggior concilio or greater council became the dominant power in the state how it was confined at last to certain favoured families how the resistance of the great nobles was suppressed and the oligarchy confirmed by the council of ten pisa and genoa were the natural rivals of venice in the field of maritime trade but pisa was destroyed at meloria in twelve eighty four and the genoese were finally conquered at chioggia in thirteen eighty from this epoch a new period began venice hitherto engaged in extending the limits of commerce and civilization further and further to the east was now pressed by enemies on both sides on the west she had to contend with the despot of the lombard plain on the east with the growing domination of the turk in defending herself from abroad she did not always employ the most exalted means beginning with the conquest of padua and the destruction of the family of the carrara she gradually increased an empire on the mainland the terra firma of her historians the fifteenth century which was an epoch of decadence for the rest of italy opened a season of glory for the republic of the lagoons she was the bulwark of christianity against the advancing moslem step by step she disputed the ground against the invader and developed in this unequal and hopeless struggle the highest qualities of heroism and devotion for the first and last time since ancient history a city attained to the rank of one of the great powers of europe the strength of venice might have sufficed for these efforts had it not been exhausted by other struggles in fourteen twenty six under the doge foscari began the war with the visconti which lasted till fourteen forty seven it was carried on with the greatest energy carmagnola and carrara were beheaded between the two columns on the piazzetta of st mark but the triumph of venice was short-lived and the capture of constantinople in fourteen fifty three dealt her a mortal blow the turks advanced under mohammed the second 
Negroponte, Caffa, and Scutari were lost in turn. Venice had to maintain the fight single-handed. Toward the end of the century, we find the Republic occupied by internal interests, involved in the intrigues of Italian politics, no longer caring to be the guardian of the peninsula against the invader, or of Christianity against the infidel. The discovery of America, the doubling of the Cape of Good Hope, deprived her of her ancient commerce. She was no longer the link of union between the East and the West. Her territory was still considerable on the West, where it was bounded by the Ada. She possessed Ravenna, Cervia, Faenza, Imola, and Rovereto. She held dependencies on the Adriatic coast of Naples. The loss of external power brought with it, as it often does, the canker of internal corruption. The state was governed by a city, the city was governed by a small party among the citizens. Extravagance and luxury increased with gigantic strides. Egoism took the place of self-devotion. Such was the position of Venice when it had to face Europe, arrayed against it in the League of Cambrai. End of section 1《or a general influence over the sovereigns of Europe, as in forming and consolidating their own temporal power. During the residence of the popes at Avignon, which is known as the Babylonish captivity, that power was reduced to very small dimensions. Rome was a free state, and the Orsini, Colonna, and the governors of Vico were independent sovereigns. Cardinal Albanoth, as the regent of Innocent VI, succeeded in building up a new dominion with the help of the petty tyrants of the cities of central Italy, and Popes Urban V and Gregory XI followed the same course. The schism which divided the Church prevented the establishment of order. This confusion of authorities was put an end to by the Council of Constance, which in 1417 deposed the three existing Popes and elected Odo Colonna, who took the name of Martin V. From his election, a new period began. The popes became more and more absorbed in purely temporal interests, and the papal court reached a depth of abasement unequaled by that of any court in Italy. Martin V was the best pope of his age. He entered Rome in 1420 and founded a nest of beggars and brigands. Before his death in 1431, he had reduced the city and the Campania to something like order and security, and deserved the title which he obtained of Temporum Suorum Felicitas. But this success was obtained by means which were not without their disgrace. He shamelessly favoured the family of the Colonna, and he supported in turn each of the claimants to the crown of Naples. He was brought back to Rome by Joanna II., but he transferred his support to her enemy, Louis of Anjou, and afterwards to his conqueror, Alfonso of Aragon. 
the successor of martin v eugenius the fourth had a stormy reign driven out of rome in fourteen thirty four he took refuge in florence and sent vitaleschi archbishop of florence and patriarch of alexandria to execute his vengeance by measures of the greatest cruelty the city was reduced to obedience and eugenius lived in it peaceably for three years before his death in fourteen forty seven his successor nicholas v forms a striking contrast he was entirely devoted to literature he employed the revenues of the papacy in the collection of ancient manuscripts and made rome a great centre for literary men with the finest library in the world he laboured to make rome superior to florence in beauty as well as learning and he commenced those great works of building which were continued by julius the second and leo the tenth nicholas died in fourteen fifty five and was succeeded by calixtus the third a spaniard of the family of borgia the creature of alfonso of aragon he reigned only three years but the first of the borgias gave a foretaste of the miseries which that name was afterwards to inflict he filled the city with spaniards and thought of nothing but amassing money and enriching his nephews one of whom was the notorious alexander the sixth aeneas silvius piccolomini who became pope under the name of pius the second was a worthy successor to nicholas he was one of the most striking characters of the age and was devoted to erudition he employed the authority of the papal throne to stimulate a crusade against the turks and wrote a letter to convert the sultan mohammed the second he died at ancona in fourteen fourteen his eyes fixed toward the east longing to commence the enterprise for which he had laboured so long and believing that it would be effected by his successors paul the second whose papacy lasted seven years was an enemy of learning but was not destitute of merit he repressed brigandage with a severe hand was a stern maintainer of discipline and reformed the practices of the roman court the next three popes sixtus the fourth innocent the eighth and alexander the sixth occupy the saddest period in the papal history the first was a violent tyrant without scruples and without shame his nephews the riario exhibited an abandonment of dissoluteness which could afterwards scarcely be improved upon by cesare borgia sixtus the fourth is believed to have formed the conspiracy of the pazzi in order to obtain the money of the medici in politics he was a faithless traitor he took the side first of the venetians against the neapolitans and then of the neapolitans against the venetians it is said that he died at the news of the siege of bagnolo in fourteen eighty four patuit extingere sextum audito tantum nomine pacis obit no war could quell pope sextus's cruel pride the name of peace was whispered and he died after his death the papal see was sold to the highest bidder this was cardinal cibo who chose the name of innocent the eighth by taking the side of anjou against aragon he threw all italy into confusion and peace was with difficulty secured in rome all offences could be compensated for by fines which went to swell the possessions of his son francesco innocent the eighth was the first pope who openly acknowledged his children he married his son to the daughter of lorenzo de medici 
and made her brother cardinal at the age of fourteen his sons and nephews openly led the most scandalous lives franceschetto cibo lost fourteen thousand florins one night gambling with the cardinal riario false bulls were sold and indulgences to secure pardon to assassins every night the dead bodies found in the streets were thrown into the tiber when innocent the eighth died in fourteen ninety two it seemed impossible that the world would see a more abandoned pontiff but a worse pope arose in the person of alexander the sixth the history of naples during this period is a monotonous narrative of confusion and disorder the glory of the southern kingdom ends with the deaths of manfred and conradin the rule of the angevin dynasty was fatal to the prosperity of the country the kingdom reached the extremity of anarchy under joanna i who married four husbands in succession her cousin ladislav had subdued the barons conquered his internal enemies obtained authority over rome and was marching northwards with a large army aspiring to become king of italy when he died of poison at perugia in fourteen fourteen his sister joanna the second was a viler and more worthless repetition of her predecessor of the same name martin v by whom she had been crowned in fourteen nineteen incited in the following year louis the third of anjou to contend against her worthless favourites she in turn proclaimed alfonso of aragon as her successor whom she afterwards deserted for rene of lorraine after long and ruinous wars peace was secured by the entrance of alfonso into naples on june second fourteen forty two and the establishment of the dynasty of aragon alfonso died in fourteen fifty eight and left his hereditary dominions spain sicily and sardinia to his brother naples the fruit of conquest to his natural son ferdinand who is generally known as ferrante the pope did not allow him to enjoy his kingdom without dispute pope calixtus claimed naples as a papal fee the angevin barons rose in arms rene of lorraine disembarked on the western coast ferrante spent six years in establishing his power he maintained it by cunning and astute diplomacy he was able to contend against external enemies but he could not resist the onslaught of king charles the eighth of france ferrante as an old man saw the significance of the storm and urged the powers of italy to unite against the common danger he died in fourteen ninety four with this prophetic entreaty on his lips the long drama which we have described was a prelude to the coming disaster the condition of the smaller states of italy ferrara faenza rimini and urbino was as deplorable as that of the larger we find the same strange contrast between a high degree of literary culture and enthusiasm and the deepest political degradation it has been said that italy at this time was not worse than the rest of europe that louis the eleventh was a monster of cruelty and deceit and that ferdinand of aragon was notorious for duplicity and cunning it might be answered that these sovereigns were at least striving toward a great end each of them wrought after his own manner the unity of his country whereas the crimes of italy led only to her disunion and insignificance but italy could not have been all bad had the corruption of her rulers spread throughout the people her case would have been hopeless her future impossible venice and turin still preserved some remains of morality and virtue 
and there is no reason to suppose that the great mass of the people had deserted the better ways of their fathers if power was concentrated in few hands so also was the crime and the extravagance which accompanied power we have now traced the course of the five principal italian states down to the time when they were about to be absorbed under the pressure of a common tyranny we make a halt at the pontificate of alexander the sixth and the expedition of charles the eighth the greater part of this book will be consecrated to the narration in detail of the events which we have here attempted to convey in a bird's eye view end of section two Section three of the Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter two. Joanna of Naples, Muzio Sforza, Braccio da Montone, and Carmagnola. Part one. The period of Italian history which extends from the Council of Pisa to the march of the Emperor Sigismund upon Rome in fourteen thirty six is one of great confusion it is a time of chaos and anarchy during which no striking individuality no predominant power make it easy for us to group the events in due subordination but the same epoch was one of the most flourishing periods of italian art to the first quarter of the fifteenth century belong the early sculptures of donatello the doors of the baptistry of florence cast by lorenzo ghiberti which michelangelo declared worthy to be the gates of paradise the first frescoes of masaccio in the church of santa maria novella during it filippo brunelleschi was appointed to construct the marvellous dome of our lady of the flower on may third fourteen ten pope alexander died and baldassare cosa was elected his successor under the name of john the twenty third his quarrel with ladislap of naples still continued but in 1412 a treaty of peace was arranged between them by the good offices of the Florentines. Peace was still better assured by the death of Ladislav in 1414. Italy was well rid of this unquiet spirit. Ladislav, before his death, had given his consent to the summoning of a general council at Constance. The place was happily chosen, as being neither Italian nor German, and yet near enough to both countries to be of easy access ladislav had been moved to this course by the new emperor sigismund sigismund was king of bohemia the younger brother of wenzel or wenceslaus king of germany and a scion of the famous line of henry of luxembourg after a short war with venice and negotiations with milan and the pope a general council was convoked at constance for november first fourteen fourteen at the council the italians were found to be present in by far the largest numbers so that a salutary rule was made that votes should be taken not by individuals but by nations there was the same difficulty as before in persuading the rival popes to abdicate their functions john the twenty third promised to resign but ran away in disguise to schaffhausen he was caught and imprisoned in fourteen fifteen Gregory the Twelfth recognized the authority of the council and surrendered the tiara. Benedict the Twelfth held out obstinately at Perpignan and was solicited to retire by Sigismund in person. At last, even his own Spaniards fell away from him 
and he was deposed in July 1417. The papal throne was now vacant, and before the election of a new pope there was an opportunity for reforming the church in head and members. The opportunity was lost, and the bonds of obedience were drawn tighter than ever. The teaching of Wycliffe was condemned. John Hus, who had come to Constance under a safe conduct, was tried, found guilty, and burnt, his ashes being thrown into the Rhine. Jerome of Prague met with no better fate. But the fire of reforming zeal kindled at their stakes burnt long and brightly in the country of their birth. Ottone, or Odo Colonna, was elected pope with the name Martin V. His first act was to dissolve the council. It had carried no reforms, but it brought into clear light the dissensions which existed in the church, and the persecution of reformers only prepared the way in Germany for the work of Luther and Melanchthon. King Ladislav was succeeded on the throne of Naples by Joanna II, at that time forty-six years old. In vice and shamelessness she was a worthy successor of her earlier namesake. She had been married to William, Duke of Carinthia, son of Duke Leopold III of Austria. But she was now a widow, and under the control of Pandolfello Alofo, her grand chamberlain. Attendolo Sforza, the famous Candottieri captain, and father of Muzzo Sforza, was the commander of her troops, and she shortly afterwards married Jacques de Bourbon, the Count de la Marche, who Alopo believed would be entirely in his power. It is useless to waste time over the domestic revolutions of this debased court. Muzzo Sforza was put into prison. Jacques, contrary to the terms of his marriage contract, contrived to be crowned king. He then proceeded to ill-treat his wife and to deprive her of independent power. He threw her into prison, but the people arose and liberated her. She chose a new favorite by name Giovanni Caracciolo, and Sforza was set free to command her armies. We now meet with a second condottiere as leader of mercenary troops, Braccio da Montone, first a companion in arms, and afterwards a rival of Sforza. Profiting by the confusion of Italy, he had managed to acquire for himself a state of which Perugia was the centre, and he had extended his conquests down the valley of the Tiber as far as Rome. The Neapolitans could not allow the capital of Italy to fall into his hands, and they could the more easily prevent it as they already had the powerful fortress of St. Angelo in their hands. Muzzo Sforza was dispatched to the rescue. On his arrival, Montone retired, and Sforza entered the city in triumph on August 27, 1417. The condition of Italy was indeed deplorable when Pope Martin V set out to return southward to his new dominions. Elected in November 1417, he remained for several months in Constance. On April 22, 1418, he finally closed the council, summoning a new one to meet at Pavia to continue the work of renovating the church. Crossing Savoy, he entered Lombardy and celebrated Mass in the Cathedral of Milan. He remained at Mantua from November 1418 till February 1419, and passing by Ferrara and the Romagna without touching Bologna, which with a number of smaller towns had declared her independence, he arrived at Florence, then flourishing under the rule of the Guelph aristocracy. As Rome and Beneventum were in the hands of the Neapolitans, 
he thought it better to remain in the capital of tuscany and in fact he stayed there for a year and a half he took up his abode in quarters specially prepared for him in the convent of santa novella the church of which he consecrated in october fourteen twenty he obtained from the duke of bavaria the release of baldassare cosa from his long imprisonment the aged pontiff came to florence to throw himself at the feet of martin to do him obeisance and to recognize him as the true father of the christian world he was invested with the purple of a cardinal but died soon afterwards in november fourteen nineteen and was buried in the church of san giovanni so dear to the poet dante the history of rome and naples during the next few years is a tissue of the most complicated intrigues joanna adopted as her son and named as her successor in the kingdom alfonso v of aragon one of the most prominent princes of that age a model of all knightly accomplishments a quarrel had broken out between sforza and caracciolo the queen's favourite which had the most disastrous consequences joanna was at first well disposed toward the pope he recognised her as queen and gave his authority for her coronation muzzo sforza had been sent by her against the braccio da montone to conquer the states of the church which were still in his possession but sforza was severely defeated in june fourteen nineteen between viterbo and monte fiascone in the following january sforza came to visit the pope at florence but the boys sang under their windows papa martino non vale un quattrino e braccio valente che vince ogni gente pope martin is not worth a farthing it is the hero braccio who conquers every one at the end of february braccio himself came to florence accompanied by four hundred horse and forty foot his lofty and imposing stature caused great admiration the florentines reconciled him with the pope who confirmed him in the possession of the towns he occupied perugia orvieto narni rieti and assisi a complete change now took place sforza and the pope having become friends deserted the cause of joanna and supported a rival claimant to the throne of naples in the person of louis the third of anjou let us consider who he was in june thirteen eighty six joanna i pressed by the hungarian party had adopted as her son and successor louis i of the second house of anjou son of john the second king of france and descended from the earlier house of anjou through the female line louis i had borne the title of king of naples from thirteen eighty two to thirteen eighty four his son louis the second bore the same title from thirteen eighty four to fourteen seventeen he had died three years after ladislaf and left his claims to his son louis the third who now won the favour of pope martin the fourth and the condottiere muzzo sforza from this time naples is again torn in sunder by the quarrels of louis and alfonso and the struggles of the angevin and aragonese parties for the possession of the throne it is a curious example of the complications of interest in this troubled time that louis actually asked alfonso who was his cousin on his mother's side to lend him a fleet in order that he might disembark his troops at naples and seemed surprised when the request was refused he received however a promise that he should not be hindered from equipping a fleet in genoa where he armed five large ships and nine galleys 
Louis arrived with his fleet in the Gulf of Naples in the middle of August. At the beginning of September, the galleys of Aragon appeared under the command of Raimundo Polirione. Joanna gave the Costello Nuovo into his possession, which he accepted in the name of his master Alfonso. The king of Aragon was at this time besieging Bonifacio in Corsica, and seemed in no hurry to join his adopted mother. Driven from Bonifacio by the Genoese, he went to Sardinia and to Sicily, and did not reach Naples till the end of June, 1421. Joanna had in the meantime summoned Braccio to her assistance, who entered the capital at the beginning of that month. Naples was divided into two camps, one the Angevins under Louis and Sforza, the other the Hungarian or Aragonese or Dorazian under Alfonso and Braccio. In November 1421, the Pope, with the assistance of the Florentines, succeeded in concluding a kind of peace. Both claimants were to leave the kingdom. Alfonso was to retain the title of Duke of Calabria. Joanna was to retain the kingdom of Naples, and after her death, the question of inheritance was to be settled by the Pope. The peace really came to nothing. Louis went to Rome, where he remained for a long time feeding on vain hopes. Pope Martin had been there since the previous autumn. He found the city at peace, but poor and desolate. He did what he could to raise it, and deserves to some extent the title which his biographers have given him of father of his country. After this, confusion in Naples became worse confounded. Queen Joanna became jealous of Alfonso. Sforza and Braccio, who were the real rulers of the kingdom, had a conference and became friends, remembering the fair days of their youth, when they learned the art of war together under Alberico da Barbiano. By the help of Braccio, Sforza was reconciled with Joanna and the great Seneschal. Braccio kept his title of constable of the kingdom and governor of the Abruzzi. In the spring of 1423, the relations between Joanna and Alfonso became more strained. The queen invoked the assistance of Sforza, and Alfonso summoned Braccio to his aid. Sforza obtained a victory over the Catalans, and Alfonso was shut up in the Castello Nuovo. In June, Alfonso, by the help of a Catalan fleet, recovered his ascendancy. Louis was now in high favor with Joanna. She created him Duke of Calabria, adopted him as her son, and declared him heir to the throne. In October 1423, Alfonso was obliged to return to Spain. He left his son Peter in his place with only a small army. During the last six months of the year 1423, Braccio had been engaged in the siege of the great city of Aquila. Sforza was determined to drive him from his enterprise, and with this end attempted to pass the river Pescara so as to take him in the rear. It was Monday, January 3rd, 1424, a day marked as unlucky by the astrologers. The passage by the usual ford was disputed by soldiers of Braccio, and Muzzo Sforza was compelled to cross by the very mouth of the river. First crossed five horsemen, then Muzzo Sforza's son Francesco, then Michelotto da Tendolo, then Sforza himself and a few men-at-arms. The first who crossed engaged with the soldiers of Braccio, Francesco distinguishing himself by a valor beyond his years. Muzzo Sforza called upon the rest of his company to cross the river, and when they could not obey because a breeze was blowing from the sea and roughening the water, he entered the river again to show that there was no danger. 
as he held out his hand to support a sinking page his horse skaltsanaka stumbled and fell the horse recovered itself but mutsotsvorza fell into the water and never rose again thus perished one of the first and one of the greatest of the condottieri he was of more than the common height neither thin nor fat large-limbed strong and robust sound in mind and body his appearance was terrible and severe his eyes were set deep into his head he had a hooked nose and a face bronzed by the sun he was a man of few words and could scarcely read or write but he was wise and prudent in counsel full of courage and spirit in times of danger full of affection for his family his country and his servants such is the character drawn of him by minuti his companion in arms End of section three section four of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter two joanna of naples muzzo sforza braccio da montone and carmagnola part two the soldiers of sforza determined to avenge the death of their chief like the black brunswickers they placed themselves in mourning darkening their helmets and decking their chargers with black housings the battle was fought under the walls of aquila on june second fourteen twenty four it lasted eight hours and no prisoners were made on either side braccio was defeated and fell wounded in the head he was carried into the city and died there refusing all food and the aid of doctors he was in character far inferior to sforza he knew neither pity nor religion nor had he any affection except for his comrades in arms a chronicler says of him in his army he was loyal and valiant but he was impious and heretical in his life he believed neither in god nor the saints he despised the offices and services of the church never heard mass and was most cruel by the desire of the pope his body was carried to rome and buried in unconsecrated ground the principality which he had formed was broken up filippo maria visconti the second son of john galeazzo succeeded his brother john maria in fourteen twelve he was naturally of weak health and whether at table in bed or on the chase surrounded himself with doctors in his early youth he delighted in the arts of war but with advancing years he became stout and sickly and had to content himself with hunting he was a master of dissimulation at the same time he was no despiser of literature and studied the poems of petrarch and dante and the histories of livy he could not bear to be alone and sometimes summoned his guards to watch round his bed as he often passed sleepless nights he was reputed religious and charitable but he was very superstitious and believed in augurs and astrologers he undertook no military enterprise without consulting the stars and it is said that the signs of heaven foretold his death three years before it happened his power depended upon his army and the efficiency of his army depended upon the excellence of the condottieri leaders whom he was able to attract to his service 
the chief among these were francesco da carmagnola nicolo piccinino francesco sforza and angelo della pergola francesco busone was born at carmagnola in piedmont about the year thirteen ninety and according to the usage of those days took the name of his native town he became by degrees not only the head of visconti's army but the prime minister of his dominions by the help of this general and by a combination of courage and duplicity filippo maria gradually recovered most of the possessions which his father had held in northern italy one of carmagnola's first enterprises was to capture the castle of terezzo whose ruins now rise majestically from the green waters of the rushing ada which was then held by the family of colioni bartolomeo the last and the best of the condottieri being then a boy of sixteen the castle surrendered in the early days of fourteen seventeen in fourteen twenty four visconti became master of genoa by treachery and in the following year he made an attack upon the italian provinces of switzerland up to the year fourteen twenty two he had made no attempt to recover the former possessions of his house in tuscany and the florentines had no reason to doubt his honour or his good will but war between these powers broke out in consequence of a dispute about the little town of forli in the romagna giorgio degli orelafi died in january fourteen twenty two leaving a son tebaldo nine years old his mother was lucrezia daughter of ludovico alidosi lord of imola he desired to make himself guardian of his grandson but the people of forli jealous of the supremacy of imola determined to give themselves to the church filippo maria seized the opportunity of meddling in the business on pretence of supporting the wife of the deceased duke the people called two milanese condottieri to their aid great was the agitation in florence giovanni de medici tried to prevent the republic from taking part in a quarrel from which they could gain nothing but the war party eventually prevailed and a florentine army was sent to the assistance of the duchess in a few months the florentines suffered no less than six defeats between september fourteen twenty three and october fourteen twenty five they were beaten at ponte aronco zagonara at val di lamona at rapallo at anghiari at la fagula in their trouble they turned to venice for assistance and their prayer for vengeance against the duke was reinforced from an unexpected quarter francesco carmagnola had been living for some time in a kind of exile at treviso in august fourteen twenty five he discovered that filippo maria had formed a plot to poison him he flew to venice spoke against the visconti and entered upon negotiations with amadeo duke of savoy the doge of venice was at this time one of the most distinguished of the line francesco foscari his predecessor tommaso mocenigo who had died on april fourth fourteen twenty three at the age of eighty had warned the republic against him as a restless and unquiet spirit the ambassadors of filippo maria and of the florentines were both at the court of the rialto at the close of fourteen twenty five to the duke the venetians offered their mediation between himself and the florentines but a month later they accepted the alliance with florence 
the doge urging them to declare war to avenge the injuries they had suffered and to tread underfoot the common enemy of all and to give lasting rest to the whole of italy by the terms of the alliance which was solemnly published on january twenty seventh fourteen twenty six it was arranged that venice was to have the conduct of the war that the conquests made in lombardy were to go to venice and those in tuscany to florence and also those in the marches so far as they did not interfere with the supremacy of the church carmagnola was made commander-in-chief the first operations of carmagnola were directed against brescia which fell into his hands in march fourteen twenty five in july the duke of savoy joined the league on the condition that the city of milan if conquered was to pass to him but the task of the allies was by no means an easy one the war with the turks was still proceeding and negropont was threatened genoa prepared a large fleet to help her suzerain the duke of milan germany and hungary were hostile filippo maria sold forli and imola to the pope to provide himself with money the only thing which helped the allies was the misunderstanding which prevailed amongst the mercenary generals of the duke at last on december thirtieth fourteen twenty six before a single important battle had been lost or won peace was made at ferrara by the intervention of pope martin v brescia with all its dependencies was to remain in the hands of the venetians when the news of the peace reached milan there was an outburst of patriotic fury we are accustomed to regard the government of these italian princes as purely personal and to view them as making peace or war solely by their own interest and advantage here we see the people and the nobles coming forward in a time of peril to rally round their sovereign the emperor sigismund also put pressure upon the duke to break the treaty which he had just ratified and refused to confirm the venetians in the possession of brescia by the exertions of the milanese nobility and the influence of the emperor the war was renewed but the result was only to give a more complete victory to carmagnola at the battle of maclodio fought on october twelfth fourteen twenty seven the duke was entirely defeated and a very large number of prisoners were taken amongst whom was carlo malatesta whom filippo maria had placed at the head of his army in order to appease the quarrels between his condottieri generals a scene followed the battle which throws a curious light on the manners of the time the duke's troops consisted almost entirely of mercenaries they had no ill feeling toward the soldiers against whom they had to fight nor the prisoners whom they had taken the consequence was that all the prisoners on both sides were liberated during the night or in the course of the next day this was a common but not universal practice one reason for it was undoubtedly the desire among the professional soldiers that the state of war should continue and that they should not on the conclusion of a lasting peace be sacrificed to the vengeance of the people after this battle amadeo the eighth duke of savoy with the characteristic fickleness of his house made peace with filippo maria at turin on december second whereas he had sent him letters of defiance on august twenty seventh thus savoy and milan were united under the protection of the emperor against venice and florence 
the duke of milan was to marry maria the daughter of the duke of savoy and to receive the town of vercelli as her dowry the second wife of filippo maria was the unfortunate beatrice di tenda the widow of facino cane the duke had married her from motives of policy but at first loved her dearly and gave her the city of monza he afterwards tired of her and she was executed in august fourteen eighteen on a false charge of adultery protesting her innocence he married maria of savoy on october sixth fourteen twenty eight before this peace had been signed at ferrara on april nineteenth between the combatants again by mediation of the pope the conditions were that brescia together with the conquests made in the district of cremona were to go to venice that bergamo should be surrendered to the same government that the possessions of carmagnola in the milanese should be restored to him but without the right of alienation and that the duke of milan was to form no new alliances in romagna or in tuscany the peace did not last long francesco sforza who had after a breach again entered the service of the visconti recommended a renewal of the struggle the florentines had declared war against paolo giunigi the lord of lucca filippo maria was bound by the treaty of ferrara not to interfere in the affairs of tuscany he contrived however by means of sforza and piccinino actually to give assistance to lucca and to harass the allies of florence he amused the venetians and florentines with negotiations and sent continual messages to the emperor sigismund urging him to march upon italy promising that when he came he would declare himself against the two republics both parties were suing for the support of francesco sforza the duke succeeded in securing him by offering him the hand of his illegitimate daughter bianca maria born in fourteen twenty five and now therefore only five years old the death of the pope martin v and the succession of a venetian gabriel candolmier under the title of eugenius the fourth made no difference in the course of events war broke out openly in the spring of fourteen thirty one a few days after the commencement of the war on march sixteenth the venetians were defeated at soncino and on june twenty second their fleet under niccolo trevisani was utterly routed by the fleet of the visconti under oistaccio Pacino. it was engaged in the siege of cremona on the side of the river po while carmagnola invested the city by land carmagnola gave no assistance to the venetian fleet but whether this was due to deliberate treachery or to his being deceived by false information cannot be ascertained at any rate his conduct on this occasion formed one of the principal grounds of his impeachment carmagnola also failed to support an attack made upon cremona on october eighteenth when the venetians had occupied the castle of santa luca and one corner of the city walls the cremonese certainly thought that they owed their salvation to his negligence at the beginning of the following year the venetians began to be still more suspicious of their general messengers sent by visconti were continually coming to his camp and on february twenty second fourteen thirty two the venetian senate was compelled to tell him not to trust any ambassadors of the visconti who only meant to deceive it was known that carmagnola desired a principality for himself 
and the venetian government probably believed that visconti's messengers were talking to him of other matters than peace at length on march twenty ninth the council of ten met to deliberate on the fate of the commander-in-chief some were in favour of arresting him openly others of employing artifice the latter prevailed a special messenger giovanni d'imperio was sent to carmagnola who was then at brescia with orders to invite him to come to venice to consult upon the spring campaign which was just about to open if he refused the governors of brescia were to seize him and imprison him in the castle carmagnola accepted the invitation at once at padua he was treated with distinguished honour probably with the view of lulling his suspicions and preventing his escape he arrived at venice on april seventh he was received by the doge with apparent affection but his suite was not allowed to follow him on entering the doge's palace he was conducted to a prison and said with a sigh i clearly perceive that i am dead on april eleventh his chancellor was examined under torture carmagnola himself was not exposed to the rack because one of his arms had been severely wounded but fire was applied to his feet the trial was interrupted during the holy season of easter but afterwards the judges applied themselves to the inquiry day and night at length on may fifth the matter was referred to the council of ten his guilt was soon agreed upon and the only question was as to his punishment a minority were in favour of confining him in a strong castle but the majority voted that on that very day at the accustomed hour and in the usual manner he should be led with a gag in his mouth and his hands tied behind his back to the space between the two columns in the square of st mark and there beheaded his wife who lived at treviso was to have a pension and provision was also made for his daughters the execution was carried out on march fifth fourteen thirty two after sunset materials do not exist for determining the guilt or innocence of carmagnola we know however that the judgment of the council of ten was not given without careful inquiry and long deliberation if they had wished to assassinate him they could easily have done so it is probable that they had proofs of his treachery the desire of every prudent condottiere of those days must have been to carve out a little government for himself as a retirement for his old age and the pursuit of this end was not always consistent with chivalrous loyalty to any master whom at the time he happened to be serving these professional warriors of no country and of no principles served only for pay and could always be bought by a higher bidder the impeachment of colione is a pendant to the execution of carmagnola after this tragedy peace was not long in following and a new treaty the third was concluded at ferrara on april seventh fourteen thirty two it was framed on the basis of the statu quo the duke of milan engaged to surrender his conquests and not to meddle any more in the affairs of tuscany or the romagna End of section four Section five of the Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three The Emperor Sigismund, Pope Eugenius the Fourth, The Rise of the Medici, Alfonso of Aragon, 
Part 1 in 1432, the Emperor Sigismund undertook his journey to Rome. Pope Martin V, a Colonna, as we know, had died on February 20th, and the rival party of the Orsini prevailed in the next election. As we stated in the last chapter, the choice of the cardinals fell on Gabriel Candolmier, Pope Eugenius IV, a Venetian, sister's son to Gregory XII. He was forty-seven years of age, vigorous and young, for his time of life. Experience showed that his nature was weaker and more inflammable than his friends had expected. His first public act was to recognize the Council of Basel. His first step in the government of Rome was to persecute the hated stock of the Colonna and to destroy their castles and fortresses. The chief objects of the Council of Basel were the reform of the church in head and members, the quieting of the trouble of the Hussites in Bohemia, and the union of the Greek and Latin churches. The Greek emperor, hard-pressed by the Turks, was ready to consent to this union, but his consent was of little value. The emperor and the pope regarded the council with very different feelings. The emperor was anxious for a settlement of the trouble in Bohemia, and for a union of Christendom against the heathen. The Pope was afraid of the inauguration of a reform which could only begin with himself, yet he went so far as to send Cardinal Cesarini to Basel to open the sittings of the Council in his name and to preside in his place. The Council was of short duration. The Pope, afraid of the influence of Germany and of the Court of France, summoned the Council to meet at Bologna. The Council refused to obey, declared itself superior to the Pope, and summoned him before them in turn. Sigismund took the side of the council against the pope. The emperor did not appear in Italy with that pomp which some of his predecessors and ancestors had exhibited. He was accompanied only by a hundred Hungarian horsemen. He found Italy, as we have described it above, in a state of war, and as he had been principally invited by Filippo Maria, he naturally took the side of Milan against the republics of Venice and Florence. Sigismund entered Milan on November 22, 1432, and was crowned with the iron crown of Lombardy, three days afterwards in the church of Sant'Ambrogio. The ceremony was performed by Bartolomeo Capra, Archbishop of Milan, while Niccolo Piccinino, the condottieri general, representing the Duke of Milan as master, offered to his new sovereign the golden ball as the symbol of universal sovereignty. Sigismund stayed for some time in Milan, as the Pope was not willing to expedite his journey to Rome. In February he moved on to Piacenza, Parma, and Lucca, and reached Siena in July 1432, where he remained for nine months, which were consumed in negotiations with the Pope. The situation was not without its humorous side, Sigismund desired the imperial crown, but he would not receive it unless the Pope recognized the Council of Basel and recalled the decree which had dissolved it. The Pope was anxious to crown the Emperor, but he was afraid of being deposed himself by the Council, and therefore refused to crown Sigismund until he consented to the Council being held in an Italian town. An arrangement was at length agreed to in April by which Eugenius was to be recognized as the undoubted Pope of Christendom. Sigismund made his solemn entry into Rome on May 21, 1432, 
the festival of the ascension he was crowned on may thirty first by the pope in st peter's but without the splendour of attendant vassals which had so often graced that ceremony he remained some time in rome lodging at the palace of the lateran whilst the pope dwelt at the vatican the emperor confirmed the ancient privileges of the church beginning with those granted by constantine the pope renewed in sigismund the empire of charles the great when sigismund left rome in august he was very friendly with the pope but he had lost his interest in the council also he was disposed to take the part of venice rather than that of milan he returned to basel in the guise of a modest traveller on october eleventh fourteen thirty three the emperor had scarcely left rome before a terrible storm burst upon the pope it did not proceed directly from the council but from filippo maria visconti who doubtless felt encouraged in the attack by the hostility of the council to his holiness nicolo forte braccio a condottiere leader and nephew of braccio da montone who had never laid down the sword and was now in the pay of the duke of milan pressed on through the sabine mountains overran the campagna captured the ponte mole and presented himself at the porta del popolo on august twenty fifth fourteen thirty three only eleven days after the departure of sigismund he demanded the title of standard-bearer of the church took tivoli on october seventh and kept it till the month of june in the following year he was supported by the colonna family whom the pope had declared the public enemies of the church eugenius had no one to help him but giovanni vitelleschi a strange product of these days a cardinal and a patriarch but a bloodthirsty and cruel soldier another danger fell upon the pope from the north francesco sforza attached to the fortunes of filippo maria by the promise of his daughter's hand treacherously seized a number of towns in the march of ancona and said that he was empowered to do so by the council eugenius saw no way out of his difficulties but to recognize the authority of the council which he did on december fifteenth fourteen thirty three sforza was reconciled to the pope in march fourteen thirty four was recognized as marquis of the march of ancona and was appointed standard-bearer of the church forte braccio refusing to submit was attacked by sforza but he found an unexpected ally in another condottiere leader nicolo piccinino with his assistance he pressed rome so hard that eugenius had no resource but to fly the citizens were in rebellion and the old republic was proclaimed a pirate named vitellio of ischia engaged to receive the pope on board his ship at ostia at midday on the fourth of june the pope disguised as a friar with a single monk as his attendant rode on a mule to the tiber bank a sailor carried the pope on his back and laid him down in the boat the fugitive was recognized and the whole town ran to the riverside another boat was launched in pursuit but stuck fast in the mud stones lances and arrows were discharged at the flying bark the rowers labored stoutly while the pope lay in the stern covered by a large shield below the church of st paul outside the walls a large boat filled with armed men came out to intercept them the skipper of the pope's bark determined to charge it or run it down but the boat was old and rotten and the assailants avoided the shock danger was now past 
and they reached the ship of Italio in the roads of Ostia. On June 12, 1434, Eugenius landed at Pisa and reached Florence on June 23rd. He was the last pope who was violently driven out of Rome until Pius IX in the middle of the present century. The pope found Florence in a state of considerable confusion. We have now reached the period when the family of the Medici begin to play an important part in the history of their country. The origin of this family is not exactly known. It is supposed that they came from the Mugello, a district in the Apennines between the Arno and the Emilian Road. It is certain that for a considerable time they held only a subordinate place in Florence. They had the character of being good, steady, careful merchants of popular sympathies, opposed to the reigning oligarchy of the Albizzi, but not prominent or powerful enough to excite hatred or to invite destruction. We heard of the name of Salvestro de' Medici at the time of the conspiracy of the Ciampi. The real founder of the greatness of the house was Giovanni, the son of Alverardo, who was born in 1360 and died on February 20, 1429. He took advantage of the Council of Constance and the increased facilities of communication in Europe to extend his relations with various countries. Florence, we have already seen, was the most flourishing commercial town in Europe. The staple product was wool, but Florence also imported roughly made woolen clothes from other countries, dyed and refined them by a process which was long preserved as a jealous secret, and exported them again to the countries from which they had already come. The artisans who pursued this trade formed the Arte, or Guild of the Calimala. Besides this, they were the bankers of Europe, and the name Tuscan or Lombard was used as a sort of euphemism for banker or usurer, which had a disagreeable sound. The business relations of Florence were carried on principally with London and Bruges, also with Avignon and Genoa, and to a considerable degree with Venice. Giovanni at his death left two sons, Cosimo and Lorenzo, one born in 1389 and the other in 1395. The relations of his house with the last two popes, John the Twenty-Third and Martin V, had been of a most friendly character, and his son Cosimo had represented the interests of his house both with one and the other. Cosimo had accompanied John the Twenty-Third to the Council of Constance, and the Medici constructed the tomb in the church of San Giovanni, in which the ashes of Baldassare Cosa now repose. It was not likely that the oligarchical party of the Albizzi could view with indifference so formidable a rival. The heads of this party, after the death of Maso degli Albizzo in 1417, were his sons Rinaldo, Niccolò da Uzzano, and Paola Strozzi. The Albizzi first appear in the history of Florence in the middle of the 13th century. They came originally from Arezzo. About the year 1370 they were attacked by a rival family, the Ricci, and they were the first to use the means which the constitution gave them, the Ammonire and the Balia, and the powers of the Parte Guelfa, to establish their new supremacy upon a firm basis. In 1379 they were exiled, but returned in 1382 more powerful than ever. They became the dictators of the city, and although their rule was not unstained by the cruelty of the age, there can be no doubt that the period of their government was one of great splendor and prosperity to the state. 
Maso degli Albizzi died, as we have said, in the year 1417 at the age of 74. His son Ronaldo was then eight years old. But the governing and moderating spirit of the party was Niccolo da Uzzano. He was by far the most powerful man in Florence. Palastrozzi was rather a man of letters than a politician. He was a man of the highest character, and his modesty was equal to his powers. He was one of the richest men in Florence, richer than Giovanni de' Medici, and he spent his wealth in the furtherance of learning. Peace was preserved at Florence by the equilibrium of these opposing forces. The Republic had never been more flourishing or more prosperous, but a touch might destroy the charm. The shock came in the attempt to conquer Lucca, a town whose varied fortunes must often occupy the attention of the historian of medieval Italy, and which still maintained a provoking independence under the family of the Junici. The attempts to reduce Lucca ended in failure and disgrace. Filippo di Ser Brunelleschi, who was at that time building the marvellous dome of the cathedral at Florence, offered by diverting the course of the Cerchio to surround Lucca with a lake which would throw down the walls. But the lake turned out to be no better than a frog pool, and Brunelleschi lost reputation as a man of science. Ronaldo degli Albizzi lost his prestige as a statesman. He tried to recover his position by an attack on Cosimo de' Medici, and as Niccolo da Uzzano had died during the siege of Lucca, there was no one to hold him in check. Giovanni was summoned from his villa to Florence and was imprisoned in the public palace. At first he feared for his life, but he was able to use his money with good effect. He was condemned to be banished for four years to Padua. His brother Lorenzo was sent to Venice, and the rest of the Medici family to Rome, Naples, and Ancona. Cosimo was received in his expatriation rather as an ambassador than as an exile, and his life at Padua and Venice was not less brilliant than it had been at Florence. The Medici left Florence on the evening of October 3, 1433. This, therefore, was the condition of things when Pope Eugenius arrived at the city in June of 1434. But a revolution was at hand. The seigneury which came into office on September 1, 1434, was favorable to the Medici. Rinaldo attempted to prevent the return of his enemy by force. He and his friends assembled in arms to the number of 600. The seigneury summoned the people to their assistance, and they thronged into Florence in crowds. The Pope, who was inclined to favor Cosimo, tried to reconcile the two parties by means of Giovanni Vitelleschi, Bishop of Recanati, but in vain. The Medici were recalled. Ronaldo degli Albizzi was driven into exile and never saw his country again. The supremacy of the Medici in Florence dates from this time. Cosimo became gonfaloniere di Giustizia for the months of January and February 1435. The government of the Albizzi had lasted forty years, which was undoubtedly one of the most brilliant epochs in Florentine history. During it, Florence withstood with glory and success the converging attacks of foreign foes, and she was more rich in consolidated wealth and power than she was when it began. End of section 5section six of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami 
Chapter 3. The Emperor Sigismund, Pope Eugenius IV, The Rise of the Medici, Alfonso of Aragon, Part 2. We must now turn our attention to the affairs of Naples. King Louis of the Second House of Anjou, who had been recognized by the Pope, died without heirs at Consenza in November 1434, and on February 11th, 1435, the first house of Anjou-Naples came to an end in the person of Joanna II. By her will she had declared as her heir René, Count of Provence and Duke of Anjou. He was the possessor of a number of titles but of little real power. He was Duke of Bar, Duke of Lorraine, King of Naples, and titular King of Aragon. His daughter was the wife of Henry VI of England, the ill-fated Margaret of Anjou. Four days after the death of the Queen, the Neapolitans appointed a council of regency and raised the banner of René. The Queen had left at her death, in gold and jewels, the immense sum of five hundred golden ducats. With this treasure, an able and energetic king could have secured the welfare of the state but when the neapolitan ambassadors arrived in provence to invite rene to come to naples they found him a prisoner in the hands of the duke of burgundy his wife isabella and his second son louis who were not in prison were able to accept the offers of the neapolitan mission and they reached their capital with a small fleet on october eighteenth fourteen thirty five the validity of joanna's will was contested by alfonso who hurried from Sicily to defend his kingdom, while the Pope declared that on the failure of the heirs of Charles of Anjou, the crown of Naples reverted to him as a papal fief. The Duke of Milan took the side of René against Alfonso and sent a Genoese fleet to defend Gaeta against the attacks of Alfonso. The Aragonese fleet was defeated in August 1436 off the island of Ponza, and Alfonso and his brother John, King of Navarre, and the chief of his barons were taken prisoners. They were conducted first to Genoa and then to Milan, where Alfonso, by his ability and charms, completely won over the capricious Filippo Maria. He persuaded him that it was to his real interest to prefer the advancement of Aragon to that of France, and he left him a devoted friend. This sudden and romantic change created a great impression in Europe. The Pope was in despair. Genoa, in disquiet at the fickleness of Filippo Maria, renounced its allegiance to the Visconti. Alfonso returned to Naples to conduct the war against Isabella of Lorraine. The Pope assisted René as the lesser of two evils, but his general, Vitaleschi, who had before this reduced Rome to the Pope's obedience, could effect but little and return to his master at Ferrara. René himself obtained his liberty in 1438. The cause of his imprisonment is so characteristic of the manners of the time that it is worthwhile to relate it, although it is only remotely connected with the history of Italy. Charles II, Duke of Lorraine, had died in 1431 and having no male heirs, had left his duchy to his daughter Isabella and her husband, René of Anjou. 
the will was contested by the duke's nephew anthony count de vaudemont rene whose right was also acknowledged by the emperor sigismund began the war with spirit but on july second fourteen thirty one was taken prisoner by philip the second duke of burgundy who supported the cause of anthony he was liberated on parole in april fourteen thirty two but not wishing to break his faith as a knight or to sacrifice the hostages which were being retained for him he returned of his own free will to prison in may fourteen thirty three and remained there for three years not being able to obtain his liberty without paying a large sum of money he now arrived at naples on may nineteenth bringing with him his eldest son john and on ascension day may twenty second he rode through the city in triumph from this time a struggle of varying fortunes continued between the two rivals rene being generally established at naples and alfonso at gaeta rene proposed to settle the quarrel by single combat an offer which alfonso scornfully rejected at length in fourteen forty four some of alfonso's troops were enabled to enter the city by an old and disused aqueduct francesco sforza who had declared for the side of rene could give no efficient help the unfortunate angevin took refuge on board a genoese galley and sailed for northern italy and france the pope seeing that rene was hopelessly defeated made peace with alfonso in june fourteen forty three who reigned from that time undisputed king of naples in the meantime the exiles from florence as the only hope of returning to their homes stirred up filippo maria to attack their city the principal general on the side of the visconti was niccolo piccinino he was quite worthy to rank with the great condottiere leaders of his time but he failed to found a dynasty and was treated with gross ingratitude by his master his adversary was francesco sforza in every way a worthy antagonist piccinino was a pupil of braccio da montone sforza of his father so that the condottieri were divided into two schools the sforzeschi and the branceschi each with its own traditions and names of warfare the struggle began in the territory of lucca but was continued in the romagna it would be idle to attempt a detailed account of the conflicts of these equally noted generals on one occasion piccinino after a defeat was carried in a sack through the field of battle to appear unexpectedly in another place the war was decided by the battle of anghiari fought on june twenty ninth fourteen forty in which piccinino was defeated and half his army taken prisoners in the following year as we have already heard filippo maria reduced to extremities was forced to give sforza the hand of his daughter bianca maria and to mark him out as heir to the duchy of milan piccinino complained bitterly that his rival had been preferred before him the peace of casciano closed the war between the two republics and the duke venice obtained bergamo brescia peschiera and the riva di trento sforza received cremona as dower with his wife 
the independence of genoa was recognized and florence acquired the casentino the upper valley of the arno immortalized in the verse of dante containing the magic names of campalino popi romena and bibiena which had hitherto been subject to the count guido da polenta as an imperial fief during this period pope eugenius had been at war with the council of basil and was gradually getting the best of the contest the council had entered too hastily on the path of reform it had aimed blow after blow at the power of the papacy and had roused up powerful advocates in its defence torquemada now supported the papal infallibility of which thomas aquinas had been the champion in earlier days one of the most important subjects before the council was the union of the greek and latin churches and the choice of the city in which the council of reconciliation should be held gave rise to heated controversy the pope was willing that it should be summoned at constantinople but the council refused to place their heads in the mouth of the turks they wished the greek fathers to come to basil but the patriarch of constantinople replied that the personal presence of the pope was essential and he could not be expected to go to a place which had been the scene of rebellion against him at last the two parties changed the scene of the intended conference one choosing avignon and the other florence or udine at the beginning of these negotiations it had been arranged that if the council were held in the east the eastern church should bear the expense if in the west the expense should fall upon the pope when it was practically settled that the council should be held somewhere in italy the pope equipped four galleys in venice and sent them to constantinople where they met a similar fleet coming from avignon the greek emperor john palaiologus together with the fathers who were to attend the council embarked on the pope's galleys and on september seventeenth fourteen thirty seven the pope issued a bull convening the council at ferrara an order which was not recognized by the fathers at basel the first meeting of the council of ferrara was held on january eighth fourteen thirty eight it was very scantily attended and none but italians were present on january twenty seventh the pope entered the city with a splendid retinue on february eighth the swift sailing imperial galley which bore the emperor of the eastern world entered the harbour of san nicolo del lido the doge francesco foscari went immediately to pay a visit to the emperor on board his galley and on the following day which was a sunday he received him on board the bucentoro accompanied by venetian senators and nobles the byzantine emperor made his way into venice to the strains of music and amongst the cheers of the populace on the last day of february palaiologos left venice and on april ninth the representatives of both churches were united at ferrara under the presidency of eugenius the fourth the greek and latin theologians discussed the points of difference between the two churches without any practical result the most important question being the retention of the word filioque in the nicene creed which implied the double procession of the holy spirit from the father and the son a doctrine not accepted by the greek church the council of basel was by no means in a humour to submit 
on january twenty third four days before the arrival of eugenius at ferrara it had declared the pope suspended from his pontifical authority in answer to his decree of the previous february which excommunicated the fathers of the council in march it declared the council of ferrara schismatical in may it asserted that general councils received their authority directly from christ and in june it actually deposed eugenius in october it appointed electors for a new pope amongst whom was aeneas silvius piccolomini afterwards pope under the name of pius the second in november it confirmed the election of amadeus of savoy the hermit of ripai in february fourteen forty it ordered the christian world to pay him obedience as the true pontiff thus the schism was complete alfonso of aragon and charles king of france took the side of the council against the pope germany had the opportunity of anticipating the reformation by a hundred years just at this time on december ninth fourteen thirty seven the emperor sigismund died and was succeeded by his stepson albert of austria the pope's council could not remain long at ferrara the plague broke out in the town and piccinino was threatening the neighbourhood with his mercenary troops so in january fourteen thirty nine eugenius removed the council to florence here the process of reconciliation went on with great rapidity the greek theologians eventually declared themselves satisfied as to the points of dispute between the two churches they admitted that the holy spirit did in a certain sense proceed from both persons of the trinity that leavened as well as unleavened bread might be used in the holy eucharist and that purgatory really existed they agreed that the pope the bishop of rome should be considered as the first head of christendom that the bishop of constantinople or new rome should be the second of alexandria the third of antioch the fourth of jerusalem the fifth on june ninth the greek patriarch died declaring his adhesion to the roman church to celebrate and confirm this union a solemn service was held on july sixth fourteen thirty nine in the cathedral of our lady of the flower the emperor and the pope were present together with the fathers of both churches the greeks were placed on the epistle the latins on the gospel side the gospel was sung in both languages and during the mass was read the bull of union drawn up in greek and latin as subscribed by the members of the council no christian can recall the memory of this momentous function held under the dome of brunelleschi which half a century later resounded to the preaching of savonarola without deep emotion eugenius might well feel that the disunion of christendom had been permanently healed and that the church of christ would henceforth form one fold under one shepherd and be able to meet with a unified front the assaults of islam and of infidelity but national feeling proved then too strong as it has proved since to admit of the establishment of a single church which should embrace all nations to the act of union one signature was wanting that of mark of ephesus and the greek church has professed to follow that single voice we have said above that amadeus of savoy had been elected as pope and recognized by the council of basil he was the eighth count of savoy 
son of the red count and grandson of the green he succeeded in 1391 bought the county of genevois of which annoncy was capital in 1401 was made first duke of savoy by the emperor sigismund at chambray in 1417 and inherited piedmont in the following year on the death of his wife in 1434 he abdicated his throne and retired to the delightful monastery of ripai on the lake of geneva there he founded the order of saint maurice and lived with six companions as the richest and mightiest of all the hermits of christendom the council thought him a desirable choice because he was reported to be very rich was connected with very powerful families and held one foot in france and one in italy he accepted the tiara with some hesitation in january fourteen forty and took the name of felix v he had however no power and was not recognized by any important persons except alfonso of aragon germany remained neutral in the schism he resigned the papacy on april seventh fourteen forty nine and died on january seventh fourteen fifty one king albert of hungary bohemia and germany died on october twenty seventh fourteen thirty nine he was succeeded as king of germany by his uncle who three years later became the emperor frederick the third and reigned for more than fifty years pope eugenius having made peace with king alfonso in fourteen forty three found it possible to return to rome the same populace which had driven him out with stones and arrows now streamed across the ponte mole to welcome him back after an exile of nine years he found the eternal city indeed a contrast to florence one the most civilized city in europe the other a desolate wilderness he summoned a council to the lateran and thundered from that palace against the council of basil and his rival felix his last days were embittered with war in fourteen forty six a war broke out between the republics of venice bologna florence and genoa on the one side and the king alfonso the pope the duke of milan and the lords of rimini on the other francesco sforza led the army of the republics the duke was entirely defeated and the forces of venice pressed nearly to the gates of milan this success of the venetians produced a strange revolution in the state of affairs sforza hoped at some time to be duke of milan and he did not care to see his future duchy diminished by venetian conquests also cosimo de medici thought it better for the interests of florence to preserve an equilibrium between all the states than to allow the predominance of one by his mediation negotiations were opened between francesco sforza and his father-in-law and they were hastened by the impatience of the venetians who suspecting the treachery of sforza attacked some towns belonging to him in lombardy sforza deserted the republican league and became commander-in-chief of the duke's forces but his assistance came too late sforza was just about to help his father-in-law when he heard of his death on august thirteenth fourteen forty seven pope eugenius the fourth had died in the previous february and had been succeeded by giovanni parentucelli called of sarzanza but really born at pisa in thirteen ninety eight 
he was archbishop of bologna and cardinal of santa susanna and took the title of nicholas v the last act of eugenius had been to sign a concordat with germany the emperor frederick the third for a present of one hundred thousand florins and the promise of being crowned at rome surrendered the cause of the council of basil and did homage to the pope thus the cause of the reformation in germany was lost and the german church sank step by step into its former condition of subservience End of section six section seven of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter four francesco sforza frederick the third pius the second part one after the death of the duke filippo maria milan was in a condition of the greatest confusion and embarrassment there was no son or near relation to claim the fief by right of inheritance it is said that the duke the day before his death had made a will in which he declared alfonso of naples as his successor but it is a great question whether this will was genuine and if it were it is doubtful whether the duke had a right to dispose of an imperial fief by testament two other pretenders to the coronet were francesco sforza who had married the duke's daughter bianca maria and was the best defence against the hostility of venice and the duke of savoy who was the brother of the widowed duchess francesco sforza was as we know the son of attendolo sforza the great condottiere general it is said that the founder of the family attached himself by an accident to the career which brought him so much distinction he was a woodsman working in the forests of cotignola some mercenary troops passing by asked him to join them he said that his answer should depend upon whether his axe when he threw it remained sticking in the tree or fell to the ground it remained suspended and he followed the voice of destiny two days before the death of the duke nicola guarna wrote to sforza urging him to come to the city consider what the state of things is and how you will be off if our lord dies and you are not here on the day of the duke's death he wrote again on the following antonio guidoboni informing him of what had occurred and urging him to come said as soon as you are here half the game is won the moment the duke's death was known the aragonese party filled the fortresses with neapolitan troops and the chief mercenary generals took the oath of allegiance to king alfonso the people of milan were of a different opinion they wished for none of the three alternatives they were tired of princely government and longed for the establishment of their ancient freedom they rose in insurrection and declared that with the extinction of the visconti dynasty the sovereignty reverted to the town itself the government remained in the hands of the great council of eight hundred out of whom were elected a small council of twenty-four four from each of the six wards of the city these were to stand at the head of the new constitution the golden ambrosian republic as conservators and defenders of liberty capitanei et defensores libertatis illustris 
et excelsi communitatis mediotani the condottieri in search of their own interest left the king of naples and swore allegiance to the republic the neapolitan soldiers in the forts were bought off for the sum of seventeen thousand florins the freedom of the city was secured but the venetians were in no mood to make peace with the new power the empire of the duke was hopelessly broken up venice had good hope that the whole of it would fall into her hands in lodi the guelph party drove out the ghibellines and surrendered the city to venice piacenza did the same pavia parma tortona declared their independence asti was occupied by the duke of orleans who laid claim to the whole of the milanese in the right of his mother valentina visconti the sister of filippo maria cremona was in the hands of the sforza as part of his wife's dower brescia had been for some time in the power of the venetians the only towns which remained in their allegiance were como alessandria and novara the danger of entire dissolution roused the people of milan to redoubled efforts sforza was promised the possession of brescia and verona if he could win them back from the venetians the new republic made a great mistake in taking sforza into their pay as he could have no other purpose than to recover the dominion of his father-in-law for himself it would have been better to have made terms with venice however hard the two sons of niccolo piccinino left the service of venice and attached themselves to sforza in the milanese by the advice of sforza took into their pay the great condottiere leader bartolomeo colioni strengthened by these reinforcements sforza first turned his attention to piacenza and pavia pavia was at this time as much torn by parties as milan itself the people wished for freedom but the castle was occupied by matteo bolognini and also by agnese del manio the mother of bianca maria who was the wife of sforza by her intervention pavia delivered itself to sforza under the condition that it should not be made subject to milan the milanese were naturally much distressed at this sign of self-seeking on the part of their general but they were too weak to resent it the este were pressing them on one side the correggi on the other the doge of venice was threatening tortona the duke of savoy had designs on novara and alessandria the marquis of montferrat was bestirring himself and drenet the lieutenant of the duke of orleans was attempting to extend his power from asti the duke of savoy at this time was louis the elder who succeeded to the dukedom when his father amadeus the eighth now pope felix the fifth retired to the hermitage of Ripay louis is described by his contemporaries as being a strong man handsome and affable fluent of speech but indolent in action inconstant and variable as were so many of his line he often sought his father's advice but was believed to be guided rather by the influence of his wife anne princess of cyprus men complained that he impoverished his own country to enrich the house of lusignan on november fifteenth francesco sforza took piacenza by storm the town was given up to the most horrible excesses of the soldiery 
the fate of tortona was remarkable it surrendered itself secretly to sforza shortly after he had got possession of pavia but the people of milan ordered bartolomeo corleone who had just defeated Drenet in the territory of alessandria to drive out sforza's representatives and to occupy the town for themselves sforza on his part took no notice of this insult the two republics again attempted to order peace and their representatives met at bergamo for that purpose in january fourteen forty eight but the peace had to be ratified by the great council of milan and the party of sforza was thoroughly opposed to it by his intrigues the project was given up and in may fourteen forty eight the war broke out with new vigour the resources of the new republic began to fail it had no money to pay its mercenaries one after another they dropped off the most important loss being that of bartolomeo colleone who joined the service of venice sforza continued to serve the ambrosian republic knowing he could afford to wait for the accomplishment of his ends in the early summer of fourteen forty eight the war was pursued with energy in the valley of the adda and the venetians suffered severe defeats in the summer and the autumn their fleet was destroyed at castal maggiore on the po but the most important feat of arms was the siege of caravaggio which began at the end of july and lasted for six weeks it concluded with the battle of caravaggio on september fifteenth in which the venetians were most severely defeated the venetians trusted to recover themselves rather by diplomacy than by force they knew that the milanese were jealous of the power of their general and they thought they would be able to estrange him from their service on october eighteenth fourteen forty eight a treaty was signed at rivoltella a small village close to peschiera between the venetians and sforza by which venice bound herself to assist francesco in the conquest of milan with four thousand cavalry two thousand infantry and thirteen thousand ducats a month if sforza was victorious the adda was to form the boundary between the two countries it is probable that the venetians did not really desire that sforza should conquer milan but they reckoned that the milanese from fear of having him as their master would make peace with them on favourable terms the generals of milan were francesco piccinino the son of the famous niccolo and carlo gonzaga who was afterwards duke of mantua the ambrosian republic in despair turned for assistance to the chief potentates of europe to the emperor frederick the third to king alfonso to charles the seventh of france to the dauphin afterwards louis the eleventh to philip the good of burgundy to louis of savoy there exists in the archives of geneva a volume of eighty letters which passed between pope felix v and his son with regard to the league of milan sforza crossed the adda and gained numerous successes milan was torn asunder by guelphs and ghibellines gonzaga tried to conciliate the popular party in order to gain the dukedom for himself upon this the ghibelline nobles turned their eyes to sforza and thought of offering him the dukedom upon certain conditions 
the result of this was that they were driven from the town and many of them took refuge in sforza's camp the popular party abused the power they had won and the consequence was that the two piccinini went over to sforza it is wearisome and unnecessary to follow the details of the conflict in september fourteen forty nine the venetians made peace on their own account with milan as the popular party in milan saw in this the only means of procuring their independence the venetians offered to admit sforza as a party to the arrangement on favourable terms but he refused as the terms did not comprise the freedom of milan sforza was determined to reduce the city by famine he could effect this by blocking the passages over the adda so that the milanese could receive no assistance from the venetians the two bridges over the adda were at trezzo and brivio the first was guarded by a castle with a bridge and was in the power of sforza the second was not difficult to blockade month after month the distress of milan grew greater an attempt made by bartolomeo colioni to relieve the blockade by passing to the lake of como by the val Cecina, although it was one of the greatest feats of that general did not affect its purpose at the end of february milan was in the extremity of despair the first breath of spring was scarcely felt several months must elapse before the harvest and what was the harvest of that sunburnt plain scorched by the flames of war and trampled down by innumerable battles crowds of hungry men followed by their wives and children fled from the city to find nourishment in the fields sforza forbade that they should have any assistance the people became irritated against the venetians the heads of the republic met in the church of santa maria della scala but the populace of the porta nuova rose in tumult the government tried in vain to suppress it the venetian ambassador leonardo venier was massacred the magistrates fled and the people summoned the principal citizens to meet in the same church of la scala gaspare di vimarcate exposed the impossibility of procuring freedom and the danger of submitting to any other lord but sforza his name was at once accepted some days were spent in settling the conditions and the instrument was finally signed on march third fourteen fifty sforza made his triumphal entry into the conquered city on march twenty fifth he came to milan from monza outside the porta ticinesi he was met by the chief men of the city by bianca his wife galeazzo maria his eldest son and his brother alessandro a triumphal car and a canopy of white silk embroidered with gold had been prepared for him but he refused these gods as the superstition of kings and great princes he entered the city and proceeded to the cathedral there he was clothed in white cloth according to the ancient custom of the dukes he took his seat with his wife by his side and listened to a discourse by castiglione the author of the cortegiano he was confirmed as duke by the voice of the people received the oath of allegiance from the representatives of the wards and took into his hands the sceptre the sword the banner the keys of the gates and the seal of the visconti dukes he then created his son galeazzo count of pavia for some time he was not recognized by the king of france 
who claimed the Duchy of Milan for the Duke of Orléans, nor by Frederick III of Germany, who regarded the Duchy as a sheeted to the imperial crown. He was, however, recognized by the ambassadors of all the Italian states except Venice and Naples, the Pope, Florence, Genoa, Siena, Ancona, and many others sent their envoys to congratulate him. It is a characteristic fact that just at this time the Council of Ten at Venice discussed for the second time the propriety of accepting an offer to poison the newly crowned duke. End of section 7「Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.